Uh, happy Mother's Day. I wanted to make two quick announcements before we get started on the message this morning. Um, first one is, we are in need of some prayer as a church body. There's been an opportunity we've talked about over the last several months for a school to be put into uh, the, the other building uh, next door, the fellowship hall. And we've, we have a, a group of people that have come together, and there are several churches throughout the valley that have been uh, wanting to be a part of something uh, like this, where it's a, it's a Bible-based uh, curriculum that the kids come in together, and, and uh, there's teachers that kind of go throughout. And I don't know 100% of the, the details, because there's a lot of details to it, but Brenda's been helping out uh, with some of the questions that have been asked of the, the group, and wanted to get you guys to start praying on it so that we can make a good decision here in the next couple of weeks whether or not it's something we want to open up our, our building to uh, for some sort of a biblical-based uh, curriculum for kids. Uh, if you have questions on it, you can ask Brenda after, uh, after service, but then we'll get something in writing a little bit more concrete and not so uh, ambiguous uh, as we get closer to having to make a decision on whether or not we're going to move forward. Uh, the second announcement is some of you have asked about Lily. Uh, that's our uh, our girl we've been fostering. Uh, hi, she looked up, heard her name. Um, that we've been fostering for a while now. And they had the court hearing last week. And uh, mom and dad decided to uh, terminate parental rights without any kind of uh, objection and no appeal. And which was just from talking to the, uh, the attorney at the courts was... Not something that happens very often. And so we have, uh, you know, asked for prayer from you guys, and it seems like it's, it's worked out pretty good on that behalf. And so within hopefully the next six weeks, uh, you know, praise God, uh, next week, six weeks, Lily uh, will become officially ours and, and adopted into our family. So um, it's, been a, it's been a pretty wild ride, and, and I was carrying a car seat in this morning, and I, I thought, what? <laughs> What did I get myself into here? So, <laughs> uh, I can tell you a lot of blessings. That's, that's what I'm getting myself into. So anyway, on with the message. And I uh, want to really build upon what Justin spoke on last week. Last week, Justin challenged us with this idea um, that in order to get through this life, at least this is when I hear a message and I start scribbling a bunch of notes, and I've got a bunch of them from when Justin was preaching. Uh, I, I hear, I guess, maybe what God wants me to hear, or, or you always ask the preacher that the Spirit w works through him and that you get some, some sort of uh, good message from what he says. And what I got from Justin's message is that in order to get through this life with the most positive outcome, uh, we must seek God's will in our lives. I mean, we can do our will or we can do God's will. And we see that in the prayer, uh, not your will, but, uh, or not my will, but your will. And in, in Jesus' prayer, and that one of the main ways we can do that is spending time actively in His Word. And if we spend time in His Word, we can understand His will, and then we apply that to our lives, and we're going to have a, a better outcome. And I want to build upon that this morning uh, and look at this word, this four-letter word found in the Bible uh, over 300 times in the, both the Old Testament and New Testament combined. And that four-letter word that's found over 300 times in the Old Testament and New Testament, which has about five different meanings, which we'll look at them, is the word seek. It's just the word seek. S-W-E-K. 
And I want to look at that word, and I think it's important before we get into the, the, the depth of the message, is that I want to look at it, what the word seek means based on God's perspective. And I prayed to God that he would take away my opinions, he would take away my understandings, and that he would just allow us to simply look at what, what God's word says and what God intended when, uh, when we looked at the word seek. Um, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the word seek, like I said, 300 times in the, in the Bible, um, in the, both the New Testament and Old Testament. In the Greek, the word means to seek, to worship, to be or go about, to desire, to endeavor, to inquire, or to require. Again, in the Greek, when you look at the, the strongest concordance throughout the New Testament, and you look up the word seek, it'll be the Greek word to seek, to worship, to be or go about, to desire, to endeavor, to inquire, or to require. Now in the Hebrew, which it's used more times in the Hebrew than it is in the Greek, the most, uh, it, it's used to search with painstaking effort. So when we see this word seek, well, you know, we've got to think of it a little bit differently than maybe we think of it, which I'll try and use an example to parallel it, but to search with painstaking effort, to inquire early, to rise early and seek diligently, to spy out, to examine intimately, to roll, commit, or run down. So when you look at this word, as I read these definitions, and I look at the original languages, and, and, and I, I can't help but feel that the word uh, means more than just an occasional rumination, more than occasional glance over. And the, the most common Hebrew meaning uh, in the, for the word seek in Hebrew is the Old Testament word, and it's bakash. And it means to search out, to strive after, to beg, to beseech, desire, inquire, or make request. So that's what the word seek means in the Old Testament. And I think it's important as we get into the study this morning is to understand that my intent is to understand from God's perspective the value and the intent and the necessity of him encouraging us to seek after him. And before we get into the, the really the examples of it, the other really important part I want to understand, us to understand, is who this God is that we're talking about. This God that created everything and the flowers blooming and the wind blowing and all the beautiful things we see and the different colored hairs and, and, and everything you can think of that he created, this God that we're talking about kind of describes his personality and his character trait a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, back to Deuteronomy 28, he's talking, Moses is talking to the Israelites and he's saying, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Again, we're taking away my opinion and we're just going to what the scriptures teach us about what God says to the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 28, he says, there's all these blessings for obedience, meaning if you obey me and do these things, this is the result. If you disobey me and you are disobedient, this is the result. And then at the end of these blessings for the disobedience and cur or blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, he says in verse uh, chapter 30, Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart whenever the Lord your God wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where He scattered you. So He's saying, 
you guys have the, the blessings and the curses laid out before you. You have disobeyed, so you're going to be scattered everywhere. Even when that happens, he said, when, when that happens and you guys obey him and you're blessed and all that, but says, but even if you have been banished, even if you have been pushed away, even if you've been sent off, even if you've been waylaid by the enemy, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. That's the beauty of this God that we serve. We have a God that is full of justice and equally full of mercy. No matter how far we go, how much we stray, how much we disobey, and how many curses that we bring upon ourselves through our own actions, God is saying, I'll bring you back. I'll take you back. Even if you've been in the most distant land under the heavens and banished there, I'm going to bring you home to me. Now, I want to understand that that's the God that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about a God who loves us so much, regardless of our sins and our iniquities, He sent us His Son to die on the cross. And He says, after you make these mistakes, you've been given the promised land, and you've disobeyed, which I told you was going to happen. I told you when you disobeyed, you were going to have curses upon you. But when you repented, and when you obeyed, the blessings would continue to come. Now, this morning, an example of this love that I want to talk about is found in Luke chapter 19. And we've got to understand, I think it's imperative to understand, that we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So we have these physical examples in the Old Testament that we can look at, we can read, we can study, and we can parallel those to the spiritual application in our lives today. And in Jesus' time, in Luke 19, we have the, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews uh, were under Roman rule, and they were being uh, taxed by the Romans through some of their own people. And we have this story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Now, many of you have heard, some of you have seen The Chosen. Has anybody watched The Chosen? Yeah? And so Zacchaeus, he's a very short guy, isn't he, Brooke? This, this kind of real calculating uh, accountant type, very short man, and he, he's... He's going out and he's collecting taxes from his people and he's, he's, he's exploiting them and taking some extra money for himself and he's completely hated by all of his brothers and sisters of Israel. And in, in Luke 19, and the question that we're talking, or the point we're looking at is that Jesus is seeking us. Jesus is seeking us. He's looking for us. He's searching for us. He's, he's desiring to have a home in us so that he can give us the life that we have in him that is far beyond and better than the life we can have without being in him. Now in Luke 19.1 it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Meaning he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Means he was, he was wealthy. He had a lot of money. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. If you're just interested in all the little nuances and words of the scriptures, the significance of the sycamore and fig tree is pretty interesting too. If you want to look at, there's a symbol of divinity when it comes to the sycamore and fig tree and purity. So he climbs a sycamore fig tree and Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Jesus goes into the house of Zacchaeus. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up 
and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount was a Deuteronomy law that if you cheated someone, you had to give them back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus, what did he do right there? If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, and I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. What did he do right then? He repented. He repented. He had a change of mind, he had a change of heart, and he had a change of action. And he decided, I'm going to give, I'm going to give four times the amount I've cheated, I'm going to give half to the poor. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. He gives us an idea. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. And I've got a news flash for the brothers and sisters and all the human beings in the room today. Guess who is lost or has been lost in the past? If you want to be part of the sermon, raise your hand. Every one of you. When you look in Luke chapter 15, there's these three parables that go back to back to back that Jesus tells. And it's the parable of the lost coin. It's the parable of the sheep. And it's the parable of the lost son. And you see the purpose of when Jesus is coming in and he's talking to all these people and he's giving these, these stories of why he came here on earth. Why he was brought to this earth. Why he left heaven and came down to be with us and to show us the way. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The lost sheep. He left the 99 and went and found the one. The lost coin, he searched and searched and searched. And the lost son, he waited for that son to return, to repent, to come back, and he ran after him. That is the point of who God is. That is the God that we're talking about here when it says, hey, I want you to seek me because Jesus is not the type of parent, God is not the type of father to say, do what I do, not what I say. Did I say that right? Do what I say, not what I do. Do what I say, not what I do. God is not that type of father. God is the type of father that says, I'm going to give you an example of how I want you to live. I'm not going to tell you to forgive your enemies if I'm not willing to forgive my enemies. I'm not going to tell you to love your neighbor if I'm not willing to love my neighbor. And I'm not going to tell you to sacrifice and give up your life for me if I'm not willing to sacrifice and give up my life for you. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. A Jesus that is literally seeking us. And one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is 2 Chronicles 16 because it gives me an idea of this, word, this, this idea that Jesus and God seeks us like He is calling us to seek Him. And it says, For the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That word strengthen there in the Hebrew... In 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That word strengthen means to mend, to give courage, to repair. To repair. And when I think of mending, I think of this cloth that had been rent and torn, and you mend it. When Brennan and I fished in Alaska back in 2003, if we weren't in tide time, and you couldn't be out on the boats dropping nets to catch tide, you would pull the nets back into the boat, you would go back onto the shore, and you would sit on a bucket, and you would mend nets. You would repair them. 
So the salmon could not get through holes this big and therefore you're losing $10 every time a, a four pound salmon goes through there and the guy says, we're going to mend nets. You guys are getting paid by the pound. The more pounds you catch, the more money you make. So we're going to sit there and we're going to mend nets. We're going to repair the nets. And that's what this word is used here in 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to mend, to repair, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And if we think that it's just a one-way street, guys, it's not 4th not fourth and Main in Grand Junction. It's a two-way street. It's God is doing His part as we do our part, which is a repentance and calling after Him and seeking Him. But if you look at the length and the, and, the, and the depth of which God came to seek and save which was lost, He came to the point of giving Himself on a cross. And I know that becomes very easy to hear, and we hear it constantly in church over and over, and you see a cross, and it's an empty cross, and He's gone into the tomb, and He resurrects from the dead. But if every now and again, when you take communion, or when you're walking out there, and you picture what Jesus actually went through for us on our behalf, the physical pain that He endured, for us, the stripes, the blows, the beaten, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the spikes, all the things that he went through. He's not saying, hey, I want you to seek me, but I'm not willing to seek you. He sought us. He recovered us. And so when he's telling us to seek him, it's our responsibility to do that. And like I said, it's not a rumination of it just a one time. You guys have heard, you guys have seen, and, and maybe the parallel is if you have to leave your house in 30 minutes, and you're like, I gotta, man, I gotta leave here in 30 minutes, I'm gonna be late for a meeting. Where are my keys? And the kids are home, you go, hey, do me a favor, I gotta leave in 30 minutes. Uh, can you look around for my keys? They might be upstairs, they might be on the kitchen counter. Check and see if I left them in my truck. I'm gonna pack up some stuff and I'm gonna go. No big deal, right? You got 30 minutes. Now, your wife says, Honey, my water just broke. We got to get to the hospital. And you go, hey, kids, uh, find the keys. No big deal. Look upstairs, downstairs, maybe the truck. I don't know, maybe in the drawer. No, you are running around the house frantically seeking and searching for that key to start that car so you can get to the hospital. And so I don't think it's the, the idea that, hey, I'm leaving in 30 minutes. I think it's this idea like, hey, my wife's about to give birth and she's either going to do it on the kitchen floor because I can't find the keys or she's going to do it at the hospital. One of the two. For us, we would be on the kitchen floor. But for most people, they go to the hospital. That's what happens. But you're excited it's about going there and you're seeking, you're looking intently. And I think that's what the, the, the type of seeking that God is calling us to, Justin. When you preach about that in His Word, it's not, hey, I'm going to read a verse. I remember in college, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to really study this Bible. I'm going to do this. Stop. Brothers, pray for us. Whew, verse of the day. I found the verse of the day. And then the next time I do it again, stop. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face. That's my verse of the day. That's what I just flipped to just now. You can't seek God like that. That's not how you look for, for buried treasure. It says in Proverbs 1. Seek for it the knowledge of God like you would, for bur like you would bury treasure. That's the, that's the concept that God has for us if you're truly wanting to know what God's will is in your life. If you're truly wanting to know what is best for me. What is best for Him? What gives Him glory? What is my eternity going to look like? And when I look in Scripture, I, I don't see this, you know, give us 30 minutes a day or, 
or, or 30 minutes a week and, and you're going to find God here. That's not what I see. I see this continually seeking after God and challenging the Scriptures and studying the Scriptures and praying and recognizing and worshiping Him and calling out to Him. God, give me some wisdom in this situation. Now, even in our disobedience, God is calling us to seek Him. And if you look in Deuteronomy again, and I love this, I, that book of Deuteronomy, the whole Testament's awesome, but if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses has basically said, hey, you're not going to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 4, he, he, he's having this conversation with the, the, the nation of Israel, and he says, these decrees and these laws I'm about to teach you, follow them so that you may live and may go and take possession of the land. So they hadn't yet gone into the promised land, which God had told them, you are going to take over. You're going to get the promised land. So he's talking to them in Deuteronomy 4. And if you go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 15, he gets into this idea and this concept of idolatry. Now, one of the big Ten Commandments, one of the first ones, I think, is in Exodus chapter 20. And he says in Exodus 20, just to get a, a set of where God's mind is here, in Exodus 20, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's giving them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. You should have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. So God in Deuteronomy, in, in, in Exodus 20, and then he does, he does the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy 20. Moses tells it again. But he's saying, this idolatry, which I told about in the Ten Commandments, it's forbidden. Don't, don't be idolatrous. And he says, you saw no form of any kind that day the Lord spoke to you at Oreb out of the fire. I'm in verse 16 or 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol. Now, I want you to think about this. I, I mean, I know this is Old Testament physical, but we can parallel this to a New Testament about what are some idols that we have today? What are some idols that some of us have or all of us have or people in the world have? Whatever. What are some idols that we can worship today? Could it be food? Could it be pleasure? Could it be money? Could it be material things? What are the things that we form and they place a little higher than God? And he's talking in Deuteronomy to these people and he says, don't have these things. Don't make yourself an idol, an image of any shape, whether it's formed like a man or a woman, like an animal on earth or a bird that flies in the air, like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters. And when you look up at the sky, and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, it says, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. And we see that a lot of times as they're worshiping the created things versus the creator. And so he's telling them, Watch out, you, you, this is going to happen. And then he says, the Lord was angry with me, with Moses, because of you, the people. Because when we brought you out of Egypt, you, you made, this, you made this, this, uh, this, this golden calf. And I think that's what he's referring to, as you, the Lord, took you and brought you out of the smeltering furnace, out of the Egypt, to the people of his inheritance, as now you, you now are. You are the people of inheritance. The, ang the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So Moses saying, I'm going to die in this land because the Lord was angry with you. 
And he says, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything. For the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now after you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt, after you have received the blessings in Deuteronomy 28 because of your obedience, and then your children and your grandchildren are born, and you become corrupt, and you make an idol, and you do evil in the lives of the Lord, and provoke him to anger, I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day, and you will quickly perish from the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but you will be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Man, what a dark picture God's painting here. These Jewish people, he's saying, you're going to create, after all of these blessings you have, which I've told you is going to happen, I'm like, don't step off the step, or you're going to go down a step. And they, they do it, and they're like, I can't, I can't believe I went down a step. Well, I just told you, if you go down a step, you step off a step, you're going to go down a step. And that's what they did. They did what God said, don't do, or else this would happen. So that's the justice of God, the righteousness of God. If you do this, this will happen. And look what Israel does after this. This is what God, this is what Moses says. God says through Moses, there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which you cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there, Deuteronomy 30, if you've been banned to the most distant land under the heavens through your disobedience, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If, if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Like I was saying, I believe the scriptures say this is a two-way street here. I don't believe God is saying, hey, do whatever you want, acknowledge that I exist, and you're good. That's not what, that's not what the scriptures say. Now, some may argue, well, the scriptures aren't right. Well, then we need to have a different conversation. But if you're believing that the word of God is true, then we can be at the same stoplight looking at the green or the red, say stop or go, and we can go, okay, we agree with the, st the state of Colorado law, which means that a green light you go and a red light you stop. We agree with that. If we agree with that, this says, if from the point that you need repentance and you seek the Lord your God, if you seek the Lord your God and you look for Him, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's not this. Boom. Therefore, say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is seeking and studying and crying out, like it says in Proverbs chapter 1, if you want to find the knowledge of God, or Proverbs 2, sorry, if you want to find the knowledge of God, then you will seek it as you would for hidden treasure. It's crying out to God and asking Him to show me the way. And some, I think... I think some people, in fact, I don't think some people, it's going to sound arrogant, but I know some people procrastinate. I know they do. Years ago, I had about five gift cards to Cabela's. And I'd been saving them up for about two years. For Christmas or something, I'd get a gift card from somebody, a subcontractor, a broker or something, give me a gift card. And I would just stick it in my wallet and I'd wait till I saved up enough to get something good. And I had a really cool spotting scope in my vision. I want this spotting scope. 
in this Vortex spotting scope, I'm like, this is going to be, I've been wanting a spotting scope for a long time that was good. And so I saved up and I had enough money to almost cover the cost of it. It was going to cost me like a couple hundred dollars for a, a really nice Vortex spotting scope. So I go down to Cabela's and I take my wallet out. And as I'm walking, looking at the spotting scopes, there's a Swarovski, Swarov, Swarovski spotting scope sitting right there and it's on sale. And I looked at my gift cards and I'm like, a couple hundred dollars, I can have a Vortex. Or I look at the Swarovski and I went, this is a lot of money. More, this is more money. But it's such a good deal. I think I want the Swarovski because it's better than the Vortex. I know I'm going to have to spend some money on it. So I get the salesman comes up. He's like, hey, I see you're looking at some spotting scopes. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you see that Swarovski? I said, yeah, I did. It's a little bit more than I wanted to spend. He goes, I'll tell you what. I'll give you that plus 10% off. I want to get it off my, out of my shelf. And I said, man. I started doing the math. And I said, sir, can you give me 24 hours? I know this is a good deal. I'm not trying to look to give horse in the mouth here, but can you give me 24 hours? I just, I got to think about it. He goes, deal, I'll hold it for you for 24 hours at this price, and you do what you got to do, and then come back. So I was like, I got to tell, do I tell Brenda? Do I not tell Brenda? She doesn't need to know. She's, she doesn't care about spotting scopes. So the next day I come back, I'll go, I'll take the Swarovski. I walk up, he, he recognized me. I said, I've decided I'm going to go with Swarovski. He says, I've got bad news. 15 minutes after you left, the general manager of Cabela's and the Swaro rep walked in and got mad at all of us at the counter for giving too high a discounts on the Swaro glass. So I can't honor the price. And I said, I want to talk to your floor manager. He says, understand. So the floor manager comes over. I read him the sob, you know, and sob story. And he's like, sir. There's nothing I can do. I could lose my job if I give another discount. Swaro was really upset with us. So guess what I got? The Vortex. I missed out on this awesome spotting scope, Swaro. And I sell the Vortex, and it works great, and I love it. But I missed out on, and for, I mean, looking back now, I'm going, I could have sold that thing for a 1000 bucks more than I paid for it now because I've got these great warranties. But I procrastinated on something. And there's a passage in Isaiah chapter 55. I want to look at it with you. In Isaiah 55, remember the concept and the, the subject matter today is seeking God. In Isaiah 55, Tree sang a song this morning. All who are thirsty, all who are weak. I told you you'd smile if I tried to sing it, Trees. But in Isaiah 55, it says, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Brothers and sisters, Jesus tells a story or stories in Matthew chapter 24. 
And starting in verse 36, he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff if we really think about it. And if we're honest with what scriptures say. And the scary thought is you're sitting next to your buddy at a hunting camp or you're planting corn or you're in a fishing hole or you're at lunch together or whatever. Or you're sitting next to your girlfriend and you guys are doing whatever you girls do and something happens. I don't mean that in a bad way, Jess. I don't understand how a woman thinks. I don't know what you got. Brenda doesn't share with me much. I'm like, how does Bible say? She's like, great. <laughs> and you're sitting there and someone's gone and you're not. You're sitting there and you're going, what, what just happened? Seek Seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. It seems as I go through these scriptures and study this, the gravity of the situation and the, and the importance of it, that there's four things that we need to take away from this. And one is that seeking God is beneficial for us. We've got to understand that. We've got to understand, God is not saying, hey, I want you to hit your thumb with a hammer every day for the rest of your life. That's not the God that we love and that's not the God we serve. Seeking God is beneficial for us. It is for our own good. Seeking God is serious business. You're seeking for a set of keys because you need to get somewhere now. That's the, 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 the feeling we should have. We're seeking and, and trying to understand and find the knowledge of God through His Word. And seeking God is in response to Him saying, I have come to seek and to save what was lost. This is in response to God saying, hey, I'm going to send my son Jesus to seek and to save you. And in return, I want you to seek me and understand me and understand my Word, understand my will, understand my creation. I believe that's what the Word is telling us. And lastly, based on these passages in Matthew chapter 24, seeking God is not something to put off. It's not something you say, you know what? I'll give it a year. I'll give it six months. I'll give it a month from now. Because you don't know if you're going to drive down this street and you're going to get T-boned by a truck. You don't know. You don't know if Jesus is going to come back right now. You don't know. That's just the thing. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I can't say it's likely or unlikely. I just, I don't know. And neither do you. 
And this, the next passage, the parable of the ten virgins or the people that, are, you know, if, if you knew that the enemy was coming, you would arm yourself. These stories that you're like, you're going to be ready for when God comes back. You're going to be ready for when God calls you home. And I believe that's what God is calling us to. I believe God is calling us to seek Him, to understand Him, to want to know Him, because He, in turn, has done the same thing for us. He wants to know us inside and out. He wants to know our thoughts. He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to ask Him for help, for guidance. He wants us to repent when we need to repent. And to say, God, I, I messed up. And He says, eh, Come on. <laughs> Come on. I know. I know. I know. I've seen it a hundred times before, a million times before. Come on. That's God. That's God. My dad's not here. He turned 70 today. Uh, my dad does, did. I don't know when he was born, but today, sometime. He turned 70. Uh, but he's not feeling well. So we're going to go home and make him some carne asada because I think that will make him feel better. Brenda doesn't, but I think spicy Mexican food is the cure to every illness. So if you could say a quick prayer for, uh, for my dad at some point that he enjoys his birthday with my sister who came into town for a few days, um, that would be appreciated. And who has communion this morning? Dennis does? All right. God bless you all.